Dudes of Kung Fu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of Dudes of Kung Fu. <laughs> I love that. I can't get over that every week. It makes me laugh. Well, you know, I hope everybody had a great week. We uh, we had a great week, and we really hope you enjoyed the little bonus surprise episode we dropped out on you guys on Wednesday. It was like uh, the way of the intercepting the way of the intercepting podcast. Damn, we should have we should have trademarked that. The way of the intercepting podcast. <laughs> Maybe that can be our secondary tagline or something like that. <laughs> Uh, hey, and also want to thank everybody for all their great support. We have over 500 downloads, and we've only been doing this for a couple weeks. So thank you, everybody, for supporting the podcast and downloading the hell out of it. Oh, really? It's I'm really I'm actually I don't want to say surprised, but I am surprised at the support we're getting. I mean, you know, all the great reviews we got. Um, I'm going to say five or six five star reviews. And, uh, and that's even there's six star reviews actually, and 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 that's even without my mom doing one yet. And trust me, <laughs> she's on that right now. She, I told I told my wife that uh, we had over 500 downloads, and she said, "What did one of your students downloaded 498 times?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well we have a lot to talk about this week. We we, we have a jam packed week here, and we're uh, there's a lot going on with the UFC, and we are finally going to talk about uh, Mark Mark Williams's question on generating power from a, a Wing Chun perspective and from a JKD perspective. Alex being the um, Wing, giving the Wing Chun side of things, and me giving the JKD side of things. And and Alex and I want to say that like this is not a uh, Wing Chun versus JKD, which one's better. This is more like I'm going to say how I teach it, and he's going to say how he teach it, and maybe you'll catch some. Pearls of wisdom out of each of us and go with it. Go what makes you happy, you know? Well, people are going to do that anyway. <laughs> right, but I'm giving them permission, and that's what's oh, most important. Life yeah, is all about go. giving permission, even if I don't have the right to. It's like, uh-huh. do you ever want to, like, stand on an elevator and, like, the elevator doors open and just turn around and say, you may get off? It's like, <laughs> even if it was down on their floor and they wanted to get off, you've now given them permission to get off the elevator, and it's kind of like you're better than them, you know? It's, yeah, it's, point it's taken, just, point it's taken. It's just how I roll. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, actually, we have, we have some big news happened this week, so two, uh, two greats of uh, martial arts and, and, and boxing have, uh, have passed away. We lost, uh, obviously, Muhammad Ali and also uh, Kimbo Slice. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a tragedy. I mean, Muhammad Ali... You know, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He uh, fought in the, the King's era of boxing. You know, Sonny Liston, Floyd Patterson, Norton, Holmes, Frazier, Foreman. Were all the kings of boxing. In, in my opinion, Ali was the king of kings, you know. Absolutely. Um, was, you know, what's his record? 56-5, and five, I think, and over 30 knockouts, or over 30 by knockouts. And he won a gold medal in the Olympics. What more could you want out of a, an athlete? Regardless of what you thought of his politics or any other crap that didn't matter, right? He's one of well, the greatest. I think it's also incredible. I mean, not only was he the greatest boxer, but also he was such an, a tremendously important figure in American politics and in in this very tur- turbulent time period in American history. Um, it's kind of incredible that he was that guy in outside of the ring as well. I mean, uh, truly a unique individual, and I don't think. Uh, the likes of which you'll ever see again. I don't think this, the social mixture will ever be such that you would ever have somebody like Muhammad Ali again. Right. I mean, I remember reading or hearing on TV one day somebody saying, like, everybody watched an Ali fight. It was either to see him win or to see him lose. But you wanted to watch the fight. 
And right. I don't know if anybody can ever capture that again. And like like you said, and I just you know, and and if you're going to make an argument for like the top five athletes ever in any sport, he he's in the argument. I'm not yeah, saying he he's 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 at least in the argument. You know, right? And then you know you have Kimbo Slice, Kevin Ferguson, who. I don't know about you. We never really spoken about it before, but to me, he was the everyman of MMA. You know, he didn't have a whole bunch of training. He was basically a street fighter, a boxer. But like you know, he really he every time he stepped in the cage, it was with all of his heart, and I just had to respect that. It was just you know. Well, I, I can I can recall the first time I saw Kimbo Slice's video. I think at that time it was just kind of um. It was even before YouTube. I think it was on that old website, Consumption Junction, which was. Oh my God. There's all sorts of horrible stuff on that website. But I remember seeing that video and just thinking, like, holy crap. Here's like an entire underground fighting scene of people who are more vicious than most martial artists I had ever seen. And to a certain degree, there was an edge and a hardcore side to it that you didn't even see in MMA at that time. It was just like. When you heard his fist land on that guy's head, oh, yeah. you just went, oh man, this is really scary stuff. I remember that video was really impressive, really scary, and um, I had no idea that it would become, that he would become the sensation he did, but I remember I was immediately impressed the first time I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's you can't not be impressed with the guy. It's And I mean, again, I never met him, never spoke to him, but I hear he was a, a really genuinely nice guy. He uh, had six kids, and it was nice to see that after his time in the UFC, he moved to Bellator. He hooked up with the American Top Team, so he was getting more training. And then it's you know it's a shame what happened. He was apparently on a waiting list for a new heart. I believe that that's the story, and you know his heart gave out, and, and it's just such a shame. I uh, he'll definitely be missed in in the martial arts circles. Hey, did you ever see one of his street fights before he got into MMA? It was against a guy named, I think, Gannon. Wasn't he supposed to be some kind of Jeet Kundo guy or something like that? You know, it could be. I don't know the fight. I don't I don't remember it. I, I remember seeing a bunch of videos, but I'd be lying if I said I remember I, anything specific. I, I think it's actually the only street fight on video where Kimbo loses, but... I think the other guy threw like a knee or a kick or he did something. Oh, and right, rules, right. It was agreed that it was supposed to be a, you know, street boxing fight or, or something like that. I think it was that fight. Right. Okay. So now, now I remember it. And I think he's a cop, right? Wasn't he a cop? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cop security, something to that effect. Yeah. Well, you know, since, uh, since we're talking about Ali and Kimbo, let's, let's keep with the whole combat athlete thing going on. Um, UFC's made some news this week. We'll get the nonsense out of the way first. Brock Lesnar. They signed Brock Lesnar. <laughs> so I can like, tell you're not very excited about that. Uh, to me, I'm sorry. To me, it's a whole bunch of who gives a shit. I'm just, you know, I guess it's good for the sport in that it'll get more people to watch the pay-per-views and that'll generate right. higher salaries for the fighters. And for that, hey, welcome aboard, Brock Lesnar. But the last time he fought... I'm sorry. He got punched in the face and ran around like a bitch. It was just. I'm sorry. Are you talking? Are you talking about when he fought Alistair Overeem? He took that really nasty liver kick. Right. I mean, but did you see him? Like he was like running away. It was like, uh, it was just pathetic. I just. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm not like I'm kind of ambivalent. I don't really have a huge opinion one way or another. But if you look at some of Brock Lesnar's other fights, I mean, that dude was really scary. And he, for somebody who didn't come from an MMA background. 
you know, he he definitely put it to Frank Mir. He he definitely uh, True. had some pretty True. pretty intense fights there. He had the diverticulitis or whatever, you know, that, that, right. that, that problem with his intestine or whatever. And there's some people that say that that may have contributed to that last fight with Alistair Overeem. The person who doesn't believe that that's the case at all is Alistair Overeem himself. <laughs> uh, he says, no, he was medically cleared for that fight. If there was anything wrong, he wouldn't have been able to fight. But, you know, who knows? It's going to be interesting to see with all these years outside of MMA doing the WWE, um, what kind of shape he's going to be in when he comes in. I already heard he got an exemption for the IV thing, which they wouldn't even let BJ Penn fight in the last UFC because he had taken an IV to rehydrate, but somehow Brock Lesnar got an exemption on having taken an IV or something like that, so I don't know. Gee, gee, go figure. The, the, the meal ticket got an exemption. <laughs> so anyway, he's fighting Mark Hunt, Mark the Super Samoan Hunt, who wow. the second Brock Lesnar steps in the ring, will, Mark Hunt will be my favorite MMA fighter of all time. But I mean, that's a trial by far, man. If you if you've been out of MMA for a couple of years as a heavyweight, and they your first fight back in is Mark Hunt. Oh, I know. He's gonna hit. He's gonna hit like with a with a, with a box car. Yeah, but I mean, you know, normally you would give somebody like a warm up opponent first, but like Mark Hunt is nobody's warm up opponent. I mean, Mark Hunt is no joke, man. And and no, I think true. that's gonna it's be true. a really tough test for Brock Lesnar. Well, you know, Dana. Dana likes to make noise, and I think. I think the fact that he could only sign Brock to one fight made it made it be like they wanted to you know he he doesn't care if Brock loses. Right. Sure. If he signed if he signed Brock to a fight fight deal, then he would nurse him in and let him build a fan base again with us. Sure. Put him but, up against Conor McGregor first or something like that. It's right? exactly right. You know, <laughs> the super fight of the century. Right. <laughs> Ronda Rousey's gonna put him. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of my man Connor, and before anybody even like hears us talk, you have to know I am like a man child for fucking Connor McGregor. Okay, I love this guy. I know everybody hates him. I think he's awesome, and I'm like a 16 year old girl talking to Justin Bieber when we talk about Connor McGregor. I'm a huge Connor McGregor fan too. I think uh, you know a lot of people gave him a lot of flack for the last fight. Um, I think that you know his fight against Nate Diaz was probably a bit ill advised. Um, I think he also he also took it too soon. Um, my fitness coach, uh, who's uh, he's actually my mentor in all things fitness and performance related. He's named Kenneth J, and he's uh, an absolute amazing uh, physical fitness coach. He's he's a scientist. He works for the University of Copenhagen. He's you know everything he does is scientifically tested. He's like the real deal, and he looks like Thor. Um, right. He he offered a lot of insight into the, that fight afterwards, and he said, you know, one of the problems of moving up in weight class, especially Connor actually moved up a couple of weight classes. He went Absolutely. from 145 to 170, and he even came in slightly underweight when they weighed in. Um, right, so when, cause, you know, when he fought Dos Anjos, which was like three months beforehand, he fought Jose Aldo, right, oh, Jose Aldo, and that was at 145. And then this fight was three months later at 170. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. And also, uh, Kenneth, uh, actually, uh, I don't remember the exact statistic. I'll check it out and I'll look at, um, I'll, I'll bring it next time we talk about Connor. He says when you're moving up in weight class, you're, uh, or especially when you add so much weight, whether it's muscle or whatever, your, um, your nervous system and your respiratory system and all your backup systems, they need to adjust to moving with the heavier weight in order for you to have a similar or equal output. And he he actually stated the statistic, and Connor didn't physically have enough time to adjust to that body weight 
that he was fighting at, and I think he he took it way too soon. Also, his whole spat with the UFC about having to do all this media stuff. I mean, instead of being in the ring, uh, or sorry, being in the gym training really hard, he was doing movement training with Ido Portal, you know, mucking around and doing a bunch of press stuff, uh, fighting a very, very dangerous opponent. Right. I mean, if you watched the fight, for those of you that didn't, the first round, Kana dominated. And now, even most of the second round, I would and say. And even most of the second round. And then he got winded. And he went into what, you know, everybody calls the panic wrestler mode against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, which was just, as you okay, we'll use the word ill-advised again. Yes. You know, he and it was like kind of dominated the first round. But the problem was he dominated the round in as far as landing blows. And he cut, you know, he cut him. He cut uh, Diaz. But he didn't hurt Diaz at all. The punches right. didn't hurt. So I was trying to think, like, Connor's taking the fight again at 170 against yeah. the same opponent. I love Connor's quote. I don't know if you heard it. They asked him, why do the fight at that weight again? And his quote, I wish I could do his accent. You probably can. You can do anything. Oh, it I says, can't do that accent. What kind of fighter would I be if I said, hey, I don't want you at 170. Let's try to get you at 155. I'll make I'll make my adjustments. I ate up to that weight. This time I won't do that. And I, I'm hoping he does it right. But I was sitting. I'm at work and I'm thinking about this. And I also I love that my job pays me to think about this. <laughs> um, they don't know that. But how is Connor going to win? Like, if I was Connor's coach, how am I? How is he going to win? I mean, you know, grappling. Are Connor's grappling skills going to get any better? You know, on the ground over the next few months against a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt? Sorry, sure. no shot at all. Say yeah. what you want about Nick Diaz. Nate Diaz. Dude is a phenomenal Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's the right. real deal. Yeah. Striking? Sorry, it's not going to happen. Yeah, maybe Don, maybe Connor landed 150 punches, whatever the number is. But they didn't phase Nate. He can take a punch. He's sure. a tough kid. From the streets of of California, it's the kid can take a punch. Right. In my well, opinion, I think, I'm sorry. I think, um, well, I think Connor's strategy should should obviously be on the striking side. I think uh, again to kind of talk about what what Kenneth J mentioned is that I don't think Connor was had grown into that weight yet where he could have the same type of power output proportionally to what he has at 145. Now that he's been training at this weight and he's been at a heavier weight for a little bit longer, um, his body may very well have adjusted to carrying that extra weight. So he may be more powerful just by default at this weight, having trained it right. um, for a little bit. But if you look mm -hmm. at Benson Henderson versus Nate Diaz, Benson Henderson kicked the living crap out of Nate Diaz's legs and Nate Diaz had no defense for it because Nate Diaz likes to box. And I think that if, if Connor really wants to have a chance against Nate Diaz, I think he needs to start kicking Nate Diaz a lot more, especially the leg kicks, especially the side kicks that he throws. I think he needs to use his legs a lot more. What do you think? I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. But I, the way I think Connor is going to win this fight, not how he can win this fight, how he will win this fight, uh -huh. is. Fangirl. Fan listen, hey, listen. I'll, if, if they made a t shirt, if they made a Connor McGregor t shirt in my size, <laughs> I would wear it. And you could also use it to cover my car at night. <laughs> I, I think Connor's going to win this fight the way Floyd Mayweather wins his. Controlling the distance, throwing tons of strikes, and not... And, and, but he, to do this, he needs to, you know, 
stay away from the grappling nonsense. Right. And just keep on throwing strikes, scoring up points, win round after round, and he wins by decision. And sure. I think that's where all this Floyd Mayweather talk started. I think Connor realized that that's how Floyd Mayweather realized. I'm not sure he realized. He knew. Everybody in the combat sports knows how Floyd Mayweather wins a fight. Sure. He, he wins rounds. And how does he win rounds? He wins rounds by keeping away from you and, and, and landing 150 punches around. And right. that's what Connor's going to do. He's going to go in there. He's going to control the punt. He's going to control the distance. He's going to land tons of strikes and win it on the scorecard. And the only, But the only way to do that is he has to have the wind. And that's like what you were saying. He, if, he, if he can adjust to the weight gain and, and not be winded by the middle of the second round, he'll win on decision. Because sure. Nate Diaz can kick my butt on standing up or on the ground. Got it. But Nate Diaz is not the most intelligent guy in the world. And I think he's going to just come forward and keep on walking into Connor's punches. And Connor has an awesome ability at controlling distance. And he's an intelligent fighter. And that's how Connor wins this fight. You yeah. agree? Or? Um, no, I, th- I think that that very well could be it. And also the fact that Nate won the first fight, he may be coming into it overconfident, which may also be part of his downfall, which is very similar, I think, to what happened to Rockhold when he fought Bisping last week. I think right. was a little overconfident because he had beat Bisping before. Um, you can kind of tell when he got into the into the octagon that it almost looked like he was just like, oh, yeah, whatever, this guy here. And he ends up getting knocked out by Michael Bisping. Right. The UFC middleweight champion is Michael Bisping. <laughs> okay, that is crazy. I, I, and again, I kind of love it because now you have Connor as the flyweight champion Bisping is middleweight. It's kind of like an asshole convention. I just, I love it. It's just. <laughs> but um, as, as a fan, please, Connor, I know you're not listening, but if anybody knows you, please win your fight against Knucklehead Diaz and then please stay at your own weight class. Right. Move There's, down, please. Move back to where you belong, dude. You're, you're the flyweight champ. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of guys in that division, and there's new guys coming up all the time. I mean, if or you even, think about or it, even 155, or even 155, right? Okay, fine. I'll grant you there. But if you're gonna look at the flyweight division, oh, sorry, featherweight division, six months from now, who's the champion? Is it Connor? Is it Frankie Edgar? Is it Jose Aldo? Right. I mean, you know, it could be always Ch- Chad Mendez. I mean, you know, there's a lot of. Seriously good fighters, and there's even guys coming up. I mean, well, I'm very interested to see what happens when uh, my boy Frankie. I'm a huge Frankie Edgar fan. Yeah, same which here. Is why, which is why, to a certain degree, I'm. I actually, do, I know he wants to fight Connor because of the money, but I'm a huge Connor fan, and I, I don't like to see two of my favorite fighters fight each other. You know, right? It's um, like when your parents argue. You know, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'd be very interested to see what happens when Frankie fights Jose for the second time because. Um, yeah, I don't want to say this is a problem of all the Brazilians, but the Brazilians tend to be a, a, a bit emotional, I guess. It's kind of an understatement. Right. After Jose's aura of invincibility was taken away by by Connor, because let's face it, Connor didn't beat him over five rounds or outpoint him. He knocked him out in one of the, in the fastest in the fastest championship knockout fight ever. Uh, I mean, he has I think that's the fastest knockout ever, or, or at least one of the fastest in, in a championship fight. And and now, what kind of mind state does Jose Aldo have coming in fighting Frankie Edgar a second time? Frankie Edgar gave him a very tough fight the first time. Frankie's gotten much better than he was in the first fight. And who knows what that loss to Connor took out of Jose. And 
the big rumor is now that the U.S. Uh, ADA has tightened all the uh, doping stuff, Jose Aldo's camp has not been doing very well. I mean, their their record since the drug testing has been like, I think they've won one or two fights and they've lost maybe nine or ten. Wow, so, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, That's... and even Henan Barrow just lost again. You know, so who who knows? It, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens to them. Wow, that that's that's amazing. Well, listen, I I you know we've said it before. We've been saying it since the first episode. We're traditional martial artists in that we both love some traditional martial arts. Wing Chun. I love Jeet Kune Do, which I guess at some point has become a traditional martial art. But um, we're also big MMA fans and. Uh, and and I honestly I can't wait to get back to training in some MMA. That's um, I you know I did it for a, for a while. I uh, trained with Matt Thornton for a while, and there's a couple of good gyms here on Staten Island that I know. Once I'm down to a weight that I can move, and man, I'm gonna be on my back working Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I wrestled all through school, and I just can't wait for that. Awesome. So cool. we have. Uh, I think we're finally going to tackle that power generating question we had from the last podcast, right? Yeah, uh, Mr. Mark Williams. I'm going to say his full name here, Mark Tijan Cecil Williams, who I got to be honest with you, oh, I've gotten to know a little bit through Facebook. I've never met the man. What a gentleman. This guy here is just, he puts up, he puts up a lot of good videos. Um, from the videos, I would say he does um, traditional Wing Chun in the William Chung lineage. You know, you can always tell like a little bit of this, the stylistic differences. Sure. And um, but what a gentleman! I've gotten to chat with him more than a few times now. I really like the guy. And here's the question he asked. He addressed it to me, Alex, because he knows I'm the better looking of the two. Well, that's obvious. Right. Oh, listen, just ask my mother. <laughs> um, he wrote, "Sifu Sean, body methods on how to." I had. I'm sorry. Let me preface it with: I had posted a question. Saying that uh, if you have any anything you want us to talk about on the podcast, you know, uh, post you know post it and we'll try and get to it. So he posted, uh, Sifu Shuan, body methods on how to produce power in Wing Chun and JKD. It's something no one really talks about. And how do you guys think it should be done? All right. And I think it's a great topic. I mean, I think it's a phenomenal topic. topic. Um, I think... We'll probably have more similarities than differences, like you had said once. But um, there'll probably be some differences. And since we'll do Age Before Beauty, you're young and beautiful, so you take both of them. Um, <laughs> everybody's going to think we're flirting. I, it's just it's just admiration. Trust me, folks. Well, um, I think at some point when we have the – maybe our podcast will be on video so people can actually look at – see how we look, and then they'll get an idea – what close friends we are, you know, because people don't know us before they listen to the podcast. They kind of have no idea that we're just kind of two, two bros, you know? Right. Exactly. Right. True. They, they, they don't know. And, you know, but we I really would like to do a live one one day or a yeah, video. Do that. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. So, you know, why don't you take the Wing Chun? How does, how does, how does Wing Chun go about punching hard there, boss? What do you think? Um, well, with or without steroids. Okay, well, you know what? That's a good point. First of all, steroids should be mandatory, but we'll leave that for a different podcast in every sure. sport. Perfect. No, if you won't take the needle, get the hell out of the sport. That's right, that's right. And if everyone is taking it, then it's equal again. Then it's equal. I want to see 250-mile-an-hour fastball hit 700 yards. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I mean, you know, generating power is obviously 
one of the most important things in martial arts. I mean, people get into martial arts because they want to be powerful, both like physically and mentally. Um, and so obviously the ability to generate power and to generate more power than the average person can do is something that, you know, martial artists, I think, uh, are constantly pursuing. Now, they're kind of lineage specific uh, preferences. Okay. So when, when we talk to wing about Wing Chun people, obviously no, that's a good some... point. That's an excellent point. Well, why don't we just say like, this is how I teach it. This is how, you know, let's sure. leave lineages out of it because sure, sure. you know, everybody gets um, all panning up in that. Uh, the, uh, the correct term, Sean is butthurt. Butthurt. Okay. Yes, well, butthurt, you know. yes. Uh, people get butthurt about these things, but that's not what my Sifu told me. Then why did you ask me Right. A question if you want me to say the same thing your teacher t tells you, right? right. So uh, anyway, um, with Wing Chun, obviously you have some styles, they, they prefer to keep the weight on the back legs, some styles stand 50-50, some styles do a 60-40, whatever. Um, those kind of things aside, uh, I, I think what's really important is to cultivate in a, a practice of your power, all right? So before we talk about, okay, like we get the power from here, we, we use the hip or whatever, um, one of my big issues, and I kind of touched on it. People who, uh, yep, we cutting out. I did cut out for a quick second. Okay, what about now? You know, you're fine. You know, so what I'm going to do is I'm okay. going to edit that out. Make an edit. Okay. Okay, one second. Edit. Eight fifty-eight. Okay. Go ahead, brother. All right. Okay. Uh, so something I touched on last week. Be, kind of before we get into the whole topic of power generation and you know what's the uh, most optimal way to punch or whatever, um, I think that you know at least in my experience when I have students come up to me and tell me like uh, hey Sifu uh, how do I how, how do I get better at punching or how do I make my punch harder or how do I make my kick harder, the first question I inevitably ask is well how much do you punch every day, all right because all right. Uh, a big part of being able to do something well is getting reps. Okay, and sometimes getting reps or doing massive repetitions of something gets a bad name in arts like Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do because there's this fear that if you do something too much, you're going to become mechanized or routinized or you're going to get stuck into some kind of pattern because you do it too much. And sometimes wow. that's used, in my opinion, as a lousy excuse to be lazy and not just get reps in, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's pretty moronic. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, pe people are like, you know, oh, well, if I always practice like this, then, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this, this, and this, and this. And as a result, they end up not practicing anything because right. they're too afraid that if they do too many reps of something, suddenly they become a mechanical man, you know? Right, no right, longer right. a human being, right? So but if you, <laughs> if, you, if you look at Bruce Lee's training methods, I mean, if you look at what he did, it was unbelievably simple. He would do 1,000 of this, 2,000 of this, 500 of this, and he would specialize in, in, in these tools. And people always wonder... Well, how did Bruce Lee get so powerful? Now think about it. He was doing this in the 60s and 70s before there was all this um, modern training equipment, all these things like CrossFit and, you know, these great ways to calculate, um, you know, how to optimize your punch and this kind of training and plyometrics and concept two rowers and all this kind of stuff. Bruce Lee did everything old school right. and he did it by doing massive amount of reps and by specializing. And like he said, if you want to punch hard, you have to punch and you have to do a lot of punches. So my first caveat before I discuss optimizing it, because again, the question of optimizing punches also depends a little bit on preferences and how you do it within your own lineage. Is the first thing is 
before we talk about supplementary training, what else can I do to improve how well I punch or how I punch? You have to make sure that you're doing the original thing enough. You know, right. how many punches do you do a day? Do you punch a wall bag? Do you punch a heavy bag? Do you do partner-based punching training? Do you hit the focus mitt? Do you, you know, like how much regular punching are you doing a day? Because if somebody only punches a couple times, maybe they do one class here, one class there, and they're like, yeah, my punch isn't strong. I would say, yeah, you're not doing it nearly enough to complain about it. Right, you know, if you it, should really do it on the train on the way to work. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> if you're on the on train, the Right, on the street or on the train or if you're on a bus and you're like, listen, I got nothing to do. Let's start throwing punches. No, never mind. Totally, totally. Bad advice. And, and you know, I, I tell my students, it's like, look, I'm, um, I pride myself on being like a, a treasure trove of supplementary training methods and of performance uh, optimization. And like, I'm a huge nerd. Like, I, I track all my numbers on how many punches, how hard my punch is, how much I can do this. I have numbers on everything I do so I can see whether I'm in you know, gaining or declining or whatever. Um, but you have to earn the right to kind of get to that point. And by earning the right is your your program minimum, your basic foundation needs to be that you're doing this every day or, or you know, obviously take a rest here and there, but you punch a lot, you kick a lot, you practice a lot. Once that's the given, that's the constant, then it's easy to talk about optimization and then talk about, you know, the difference uh, of, you know, a couple couple inches here on the hip or moving this or, or, or um, adding this to the punch. Uh, so that's kind of maybe not body method specific, but that's kind of my foundation for even beginning the conversation. Right. One, one of the things that we work at a lot in, um, in, in the system of Wing Chun that I teach, which is from the Leung Ting line, is um, using the joints. Okay, so uh, the, the WT system, the Leung Ting system is kind of considered more of a flexible Wing Chun style or I'm not going to say soft because I don't like I don't like that as a broad term right it has a bad connotation yeah it, it I like the term flexible so you know we're always taught essentially to use our arms like like their whips like their lashes and this requires a lot of training in the forms for your joints to operate independently and one that's one thing that's normally missing like a lot of people talk about tension and they talk about oh you need to tense this and tighten this but if you think about it, the most pure form of power delivery is throwing. There's actually nothing more pure than throwing. If you, I put a ball in sure. your hand and I say, go ahead and throw that ball as hard as you can. Even if you're not a trained baseball athlete, you have a pretty good idea of how to do it well. And you could probably throw pretty damn far, even if you're not somebody who does throwing all the time, right? Right, sure, absolutely. And that is the best model for seeing how much power you can transfer out of your arm. The problem is that martial artists never look at punching in the same way. They always talk about things like you need to tense your lats and your shoulder and then you need to hold this and pull back this and do that. Now imagine I put a ball in your hand and I tell you, you're not allowed to extend your joints. You can't extend your elbow because you will hyperextend your elbow. So you need right, to keep right. your elbow bent and you need to keep your shoulder back and you need to tense your lat. And now I say, go ahead and throw that as far as you can. Right, sure, <laughs> you would, right. You would be a, 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 you're all tense, and if you can't even straighten your arm, I mean, that ball would almost fall out of your hand without going anywhere. There's no natural fluidity to There's it. There's no natural way. fluidity. So the simplest thing is think, how about instead of pushing a punch, 
we do what people say we actually do with a punch, which is throw a punch. And this makes all the difference in the world just by changing the paradigm in your head. Most, especially I can speak for Wing Chun, I can't speak for other people. Most Wing Chun people push their punch forward. All right, I don't push my punches, I throw them, which is a completely different idea. So I would start with that. That's, that's, I love that. That's a great, I got to tell you, I never thought of that before. That's, I'm doing this a long time. I've never thought of that before and I've never heard that before. Well, that, I'm glad uh, I can bring something to the table. <laughs> mark this down. That's one. No, one, one for me. <laughs> I'm going to have a party tomorrow. That's absolutely something I never thought of. It's an excellent way of looking at it because I'm, I'm all about changing the mindset to change how you do things. And the idea of mindset of throwing as opposed to pushing it out is a brilliant way of thinking of it. It's it's more natural. Right. You know, it's like uh, when I first started training with Steve, Steve Golden, at one point he we, we talked about the proper way of doing something and he used an analogy that everybody in the martial arts uses, but when your Sifu talks to you about that way, you kind of think of it in a in a deeper sense. And he said, if I, you know, if I threw you a ball, you would just catch it. Right. You wouldn't think, okay, my my arm has to come up with a 64 degree angle and, you know, I'm going to connect this to this to this. You just catch the ball, you exactly. know, and if the ball was headed at your face, you'd catch it quicker. You know, it's, 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 it's the idea of um, training the body to do something and then not thinking about, not overthinking it while you're doing it. Right. Um, but well, uh, uh, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, actually what you said is a beautiful point because, um, and actually the throwing analogy also comes from my uh, fitness mentor, Kenneth J. One of the interesting things is people, the, the human brain when it comes to movement doesn't actually, you know, people always say, oh, the brain is like a computer, but actually the human brain doesn't work like a computer at all in one very important differentiation. The more programs you run on a computer, does it run faster or slower? Oh, slower. Right. So the more things you got going on on a computer, uh, the slower it's going to, to run. Well, the human brain actually runs a little bit differently. Now, I'm not talking about multitasking. We're talking about when you train movement as a broad kind of idea, the more movement vocabulary you have in your body, that means like you know how to bend down and grab something and you can also do it with your other hand and your right hand and on one leg. And the more kind of reps you feed your brain in different ways, the more efficiently your brain can find the right way to move when it needs to move in the moment. Oh, uh, dude, so, you're, you're, you're spot on, man. I love this. This is awesome. So, for example, it's an entire Ph.D. program at MIT to make a robot arm that can just pick a pencil up off a desk. Because it's so, it requires so many fine movements to be able to do it correctly with the right amount of pressure. Now, if you think about it. I'm it sorry. Was, I'm sorry. But, yeah. you know, like that whole team and that, that whole team of researchers at MIT, they're going to program that thing. But I bet not one of them have ever opened a bra. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. And maybe if they did, they would finally figure something out, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had a joke. <laughs> So, like, if you think about it, if a pencil dropped on the floor and you walked over to go get it and you bent down and you grabbed it and you picked it up, think of all the things that are required for your brain to handle. How fast do you move down to pick it up? How many degrees does your hand need to go out? How much pressure do you need to put between your fingers to pick it up? And all of these things your brain figures out in fractions of a millisecond. But 
Because uh, you've been picking up things since you're one years old. Exactly. So your brain has this unbelievable movement vocabulary, and it can choose the, the most direct and efficient way to do it without you having to think about it. Now imagine you had to think about every little movement you had to do to pick up that pencil. You would essentially be paralyzed in thought. What the hell was that? Oh, that was a that was a gate downstairs. <laughs> I, thought, so, I thought someone opened fire on you, brother. No, 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 that would never happen here. I have I have sharpshooters waiting on the top of the building to keep anybody out. <laughs> um, but anyway, you would pick up this thing naturally, and there would be all these thousands of movement patterns: your eyes looking, your hand, how far you bend down, how far you go up to pick it. All these things happen naturally. But when it comes to martial arts, or when it comes to movement. Suddenly we're paralyzed by, oh, no, you have to move your arm 45 here. This has to stay down. You have to hold this. You have to hold, do this, do that. And your brain doesn't actually understand movement in abstract concepts. It knows how your body moves. When you tell it, no, you have to keep your shoulder here, keep your elbow here, it gets really confused because your brain goes, wait a minute. I know how to move your arm. I know how to move your shoulder. Why are you overriding my programming? So the less natural it is, the more it's kind of inculcated with dogma and you got to do it this way and you got to do it that way, the less efficient the movement becomes. And the more it can become natural, the more we can just say, throw your punch forward. Even if you do it in a Wing Chun way and not a boxing way, you can throw a jab, you can throw a cross, you can throw a Wing Chun straight punch. It's just a matter of changing the directive and not thinking about the individual body mechanics. That makes a huge difference. Well, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it's what you said is spot on. Maybe I just shouldn't talk because <laughs> um, I think what you said is spot on. But I, I think the body also needs to learn. The sure. the brain needs to learn. That's why we have um, directions, and that's why we have teachers. And that's so. Once we, I think the the line, I think the level that you're speaking about is somebody that's already learned how to throw a punch properly. Once the once the brain learns how to do it. If we still think about it, that's when we kind of, I don't know, neuter ourselves. Sure. But, but we have to, I think, like at some point, a person has to learn how to throw a punch. I mean, right. you've, you're teaching a lot of years. How many people have you come into your into your school that can't throw a punch to save their life? I had one student that came to train with me, trained with me for a few years. He was a big dude. He had to be 6'3", 230, all muscle. And when he threw a punch, like my wife would punch harder than him. <laughs> and I was like, you're killing me here. It's like, what the hell? Where did it all go? Because he didn't know how to throw a punch. He never threw a punch his whole life. So his brain had no idea. He, sure. needed, he needed some structure. Absolutely. And how I teach hitting in JKD, in my system, in my family, however you want to call it, I have a little uh, breakdown that I do. And um, we've... We train you into understanding timing, structure, motion, body sway, balance versus unbalanced, proper use of body weight, which is huge. Huge. Um, huge. Donald Trump, huge. Donald Trump, huge. Let's not even go there. Because we'll just like lose subscribers left and right, no matter what we say. But Half our funny. subscribers he's, are gone. He's totally taken the word huge away from Because now everyone makes fun of that saying huge with a Y at the beginning. So whenever I hear someone say huge in daily conversation, <laughs> I, I just have to think huge. It's huge. That's awesome. And uh, so the last three things were uh, understanding what we call the kinetic chain of throwing a punch. The, the, the three forces, or the way of generating force. 
And hand before body, or as my instructor says it, nothing moves before the hand. All of these play into leaving a powerful punch. Now, some of, I'm not going to focus on all of them in the podcast. We'll be here all night. But some of the ones I wanted to talk about was the idea of body sway. If you understand body sway and train body sway, body sway is just what it sounds like. Picture you're in a stance, and JKD, most JKDers would be in a right lead stance. So I'm going to just speak of it in that way. If you're in some sort of right lead stance, and you duck down and you bob, bob over to your right to get away from an attack. Mm-hmm. Understanding the body sway of com- coming back to your left, how to use that momentum is how you'll generate power. Now, we again talk about using the body weight, right? Huge. So when your body sway, having that idea, that training of self-timing, of lifting the leg of the direction you're going in, to give that weight somewhere to go. Now, I know a lot of people, in Wing Chun especially, talk about rooting and how both legs have to be on the floor when you hit, when you land your punch. In well, James- actually, actually, I don't, well, to be fair or to be honest, uh, I don't discuss rooting at all. Um, rooting, in my opinion, is, is a Tai Chi idea, and a lot of Wing Chun people have adopted it, but um, right. actually rooting, because I'm of the opinion, if, if you're stuck rooting yourself in one place, then you're just a standing target in front of your opponent. So I, um, I actually don't teach any so-called concept of rooting. We get our stability in Wing Chun in a completely different way, but I don't mean to cut you off. Go no, ahead. No, that's fine. I'm a big proponent of when you throw a punch your hand has to strike before your lead foot touches the ground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had many people say, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And I, you know what? That's fine. I could be wrong. But I understand that force is generated mass times acceleration. And I want to have as much mass moving forward and downward as possible. And if, and if you want to just test it out to yourself, take your normal stance that you have and go stand in a door jam somewhere and have both feet rooted to the ground or on the ground in your stance and take your hand and press it into the door jam straight out and press as hard as you could possibly stretch as as press as hard as you can possibly press give that forward pressure as much as you can now do that and lift your lead leg all your weight goes now into that front hand right if you can create the crack of a whip with that front hand you, you'll, you'll hit a guy that he doesn't travel back 30 feet. He drops. Because if you have all your body weight coming forward and your hand snapping in and out, you know, um, oh, what's... Steve Golden has a student, uh, James, James Chandler, who punches, like, so hard. It's his big thing. He punches incredibly hard. And I'm going to... James Chandler. Okay. He, um... He spoke about one day, he was like, what's the f- quickest your hand has ever moved? He asked me. And, you know, I was thinking about it. And it was to picture you touching a, something that you didn't know was hot. Mm-hmm. You touched the barbecue. You thought it was cold, but it's been on for the last overnight. And you go to touch it, and it's red hot. And that kind of speed of your hand coming off that barbecue. That's the speed, that kind of initiation speed, bang, snapping forward, 
timed with the proper use of body weight will have you hitting so hard. And in my opinion, it's the hardest I've ever hit. Now, right now is the hardest I ever hit. Mm -hmm. Is because of the way I can use my body weight and use acceleration. Use that. It's not just punching fast. It's going from nothing to fast. It's that acceleration speed pop timed with the use of the body weight that will make a guy hit hard. Now, you have to crack the whip. And when I say crack the whip, think of literally a whip cracking. Is that, that, there's, that, there's that instant where it, it's, it's, it's at it's, what's the, the apex, I guess? What's the, whatever yes. the right term? It's, it's right at the apex. That's the whole idea of timing and self-timing. You have to understand, you know, you're, you have to have the ability to read the ebb and flow of a fight the ebb and flow of two people moving that you know that you can hit that punch at what distance so that you can crack the whip at the exact moment you need to crack the whip. Right. You know, and we talk about different ways of generating power, and this is all academic. You know, it's understanding why things happen so that, you know, you train it in the lab so that when you have to throw a punch off a bit outside in the street or practicing on the bus the way you should be. Um, <laughs> What else are you doing on the bus? Right. What are you doing? Read a book? So, you know, you, you practice these academic, or think about these academic ideas, this idea of a vertical force, rotational force, linear force. I can't say the word linear force anymore. Linear force. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, you know, listen, there's people out there that just, they, they can't handle big words like this, but, you know, vertical force is I'm talking about this idea of understanding gravity, understanding your body weight, and understanding that having your body weight almost falling forward. Matter of fact, you talked about the Dempsey book. Yes. In, in the Dempsey book, he talks about a, a, a drop step. Yeah, the falling step, very famous. Right, right, okay, and that's him using his body weight. Right. And, that, and that's what, exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sure he wrote it in a much more elegant way than this fat kid from Brooklyn can say. But it's this <laughs> idea of... Of, of using your body weight as it's falling forward creates what we call vertical force, rotational force, teaching the body how to use its rotational, rotate the axis, the rotational axis to again align the body perfectly for the punch for the crack of the whip. Right. Now, again, this is not something that you're going to think about in the Barnes and Noble when someone's trying to steal your, your book that you want to buy. <laughs> you Someone's know, trying to steal my book from Barnes and Nobles now. Right. You know, if you're online, someone goes to take your book, you gotta punch him. You can't go and take another one. So <laughs> but if you think about it prior, that's what training's all about. Training is understanding why things happen, practicing why things happen, so that when you have to use it, you don't have to think about it. Right. So that you'll see you have your vertical force, you have your rotational force and linear force. Using the forward momentum, being a a, a, a solid bar. That's how at least we do it. You know, the, at the at the extension, at the crack of the whip, there's this alignment that takes place between you know your ring finger, knuckle, your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, and your rear shoulder and your hips. Kind of all crack the whip at the second, at the right exact fraction of a second. Boom to give you that crack of the whip punch. And everything needs to be timed right. You need to start from the right distance. You need to have the understanding of the body sway. So much can be learned from a bob and weave when it comes to generating power. If you got in front of a heavy bag and just bobbed 
came up with a hook. Bob came up with a rear straight. Bob lead hook. You you'll gain a, an understanding of what I'm talking about with the, with this idea of body sway and now put into it of stepping off in different directions. These will help you help your body learn ways of moving. You know, um, earlier Alex had mentioned about um, bending over to pick up a pencil, and it made me think of something quickly. Not to go off topic, but it's still part of this. My my fitness trainer talks about um, what what what's required for your body to be considered fit in his eyes. What's the pillars of fitness? And he had asked me that the first time we met, and I basically said, you know, lift heavy shit and run a long way. <laughs> and he said I left out two major things that to him the pillars of fitness were functional strength, cardiovascular endurance. But also flexibility and balance. Sure. And that's what training gives us. It, it it lets our body understand balance. How to use balance, how to unbalance and regain balance, and how to use that momentary unbalancing to our advantage. And I, I love what you said about it, that once the body knows how to do something, we need to let it do it. Right. But we also have to teach it how to do it in the first place. Sure. And um, that's a little bit as far as how I go. I mean, there's much more, and I'm looking now at my notes, and I have three other pages left of this. But you mean I, that, wasn't, that wasn't everything? I, I, I know. But oh, listen, man, we, we really failed on delivering in this podcast. you you got to save something for the second lesson, right? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. So um, we're going to go on and talk a little bit more of uh, some, some ideas and everything. But before we do, I just want to do some, uh, I guess uh, – no, before we do that, oh, okay. I want to remind remind the folks a couple of things. One, please go to our Facebook page, um, facebook.com slash dudes of kung fu and give us a like. We it really helps us. Give us and two likes. Give us two likes if you can help it. So use your normal Facebook page and use your other secret Facebook page you use for starting wars online. Right, and the one that your wife doesn't know about, right? So that's the third one. That's right, yeah. So <laughs> you can, you, everyone can get us at least two or three likes. This is true. This is true. And then if you can give us that, that review on iTunes, again, really appreciated. And next month we're going to pick a person out and send them a gift from Alex and I. We, uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to this. It's, it's, you have no idea how much we are enjoying this. It's, it's become a, a highlight of our day. Absolutely. Um, and, and next week, we're gonna. One of the things we're gonna focus on is getting fit. I am Alex, and I have uh, lots of thoughts on fitness and getting fit to fight, and we come at it at, from two different ways. Um, you know, he's coming at it from a guy who's in shape and wants to get in pristine shape, as much as I effing hate that. <laughs> and I'm coming at it from being a fat bastard who doesn't really want to be that much of a fat bastard anymore. <laughs> So we, you know, we both are really involved in training and, and we have a lot of ideas. So next week we're going to focus at least part of the podcast on that. And it's, it's definitely going to be something I think you're going to find interesting. Awesome. What else is going on in the world of Wing Chun there, my friend? Anything new? Eh, nothing new. Wing Chun world is normally just about old stuff. So uh, like I said last week, I have a few projects I'm working on. Today we shot a bunch of intros for a new web series I'm working on called World of Fighters. 
that's going to be really cool. And I'm also working on a big Wing Chun project, which will bring me to Hong Kong. And again, when that's all finalized, uh, I'll make the big announcement about that. All right, awesome. You, so you just said Hong Kong. I think last week or the week prior, you mentioned that you teach in a Hong Kong style. Yes. What the cool. hell does that mean? <laughs> it means that I teach with a really crappy attitude and I berate my students constantly and ask for more money. Oh, okay. No problem. Makes sense. That's Got also it. All right, makes sense, yeah. <laughs> that's also a Brooklyn style then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, well, w within Wing Chun, uh, the WT line, which I come from, there's there's kind of there's been a big a big schism. Uh, people don't like to talk about it, um, but essentially, there's kind of the Wing Chun that's being taught in Europe by Sifu Kanspecht, who's like Lang Ting's Sifu Lang Ting's number one guy in Europe, and he's taken Wing Chun to a vastly different direction in Europe and has been for a pretty long time. So the European style was always a, a bit different, and they had different programs and. They did things kind of their own way, which was a little bit different from what they were teaching in Hong Kong. And I learned the European style originally because I learned at Langensel Castle for three years. Uh, I actually trained at the headquarters of the EWTO for three years. I trained six hours a day, five days a week. That's all I did for three years of my life. Instead of going to college, I went to Kung Fu school in Germany. Wow. So, uh, I yeah, did so girls. <laughs> so I, I'm by trade. I mean, I'm professionally. I'm not just a guy who learned Wing Chun somewhere and decided to open a school. I actually went to a professional Wing Chun martial arts academy in Germany and became trained not just in Wing Chun, but as a Wing Chun instructor. So I am by trade a Wing Chun instructor. This is all I do. So uh, and I learned obviously the European style, uh, having learned over in Germany. But when I came back to the States, I had the great opportunity to learn directly from Sifu Lang Ting. And so for nine years, I learned from him privately in seminars here in the States, in my school, in Hong Kong, all over the U.S. And um, it changed my perspective on Wing Chun dramatically. And I essentially teach the very Hong Kong style Wing Chun, which is kind of very gritty, very aggressive, very practical. The only difference is I teach it in a very structured and logical European way. Huh. Uh, the Hong Kong Chinese... Uh, despite all their amazing innovations in the actual art itself, in my opinion, don't really have a great way to teach it. And it's too bogged down by a lot of things in Chinese culture that they don't really look at their job as instructor seriously. Uh, I take my job very seriously. I, everyone who walks into my school, it's like, well, I got to make them good. That's my job. Uh, and I do the best to engineer programs and, and um curriculum that can help people be successful. The Hong Kong Chinese, if you're not talented, you don't work hard, well, you can go screw yourself. Right. Uh, the Western models are like, we're, we want to give everybody a chance. So I teach the Hong Kong style curriculum, but with Western modern teaching focus. So you have more of a structured class or is it more of a gym atmosphere? Um, well, it's a structured gym atmosphere. <laughs> wow. You should go into politics, my friend. <laughs> Uh, I dealt with politics for nine years in the big association, so that may have helped me a bit. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I mean by Hong Kong style. I just mean the flavor of Lung Teng Wing Chun I teach is more Hong Kong style than European style these days. Oh, okay. Because I've heard the term Hong Kong style uh, used differently. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, I, you know, I've heard it from Moyat people. And, you know, maybe it's just something in, in, in that lineage, our lineage, that this idea of Hong Kong style being more of an organic way of learning. 
as opposed to an American or Western style of a structured class way of learning. Yes, although uh, I have to I have to say as someone who's been to Hong Kong quite regularly and I've watched classes not only in my own lineage but in other lineages of Wing Chun, I've watched other kung fu styles there. By organic they basically mean the sifu just kind of sits there and you practice while they watch. Right. And if and if you're lucky, they'll give you a correction or they'll tell you it wasn't as bad as last time you did it. And that's, in my opinion, not really organic. It's just kind of a sign of lazy instructorship. And um, the Chinese get a free pass on doing that because, well, that's how their seafood did it. Right. Sure. Sure. I get it. I mean, we, I, you know, I'm, I'm not telling any tales out of school, but um, my 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 seafood told me a story once, which I just I thought it was hysterical. Um, they were in the school one day in, in Moyat School, and they were you know training. And they're doing their thing, and Moyat was in his little office painting. Right. And while he was painting, he yelled out, Who's on the jong? <laughs> so they yelled out who was on the jong. I'm not going to say who it was. And he goes, Oh, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty typical. <laughs> and I thought it was hysterical. I was like, that's That just, you know, just sounds so... To me, that's not Hong Kong Chinese. That's just like old manish. You know what I mean? That's yeah, like something my yeah. grandfather would do. You know? Sure, sure, sure. It you still know, my, goes on that way, unfortunately. Right. You know, my grandfather is the kind of guy. He was an awesome guy, but like he would like you know, you could be in the kitchen, he'd be in the living room and say, "Sean, you know, grab me a soda," and you know, I grab a soda for him and a soda for me, and I walk in, and he'd look at me and say, "You're gonna drink a soda? Aren't you getting fat?" I'm like, you old <laughs> bastard! I just bought you freaking soda, you know? <laughs> but uh, the way I teach. Is, has changed over time as I got lazier. But um, <laughs> one of the ways I really loved running my schools, and anybody that's ever trained with me could tell you this, there's been nothing ever structured about my, the way I ran a class ever in my life. I am very much boxing gym atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I always just like that. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in seeking's helping juniors, teachers walking around, being actively involved, and and every making, although there's quote-unquote, maybe get some ranks, um, especially with Wing Chun. In JKD, I really don't look at student ranks whatsoever. So it's more like if you go into Gleason's gym in Brooklyn, the only way you can tell who's better than who is by their form, and not by form as in kata form, as form as in how clean they move. Right, and I just love that, and that's why I think for me, how a martial arts school, for me to train in and teach in and feel at home in, would have to be. It would have to be like walking into Gleason's gym, except nicer and maybe not smell as bad. <laughs> but uh, that's that's kind of the way I like to run things. Um, we have we have a couple of questions here. If you, uh, I think we got to shoot these answers quickly because we're running out of time. Yeah, we are. We're Couple, maybe a couple minutes here. Yeah. All right. Shoot. We'll we'll give all these a nice quick answer. Just one, one, one or two questions here. All right. One question. This is a nice easy one for you. It's a layup. Uh huh. Why are the forms different in every Wing Chun school? Why are all Wing Chun schools different in Ip Man method of teaching? This comes from Tony Santiago. I think we've both heard of Tony. Sure. Sure. Well, I can't speak for the Ip Man methods because uh, Ip Man for me is a fictitious character played by Donnie Yen and Anthony Wong. <laughs> Uh, I can talk a little bit about Yip Man's yep. guy with the Y. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Um, look, if anybody's taught Wing Chun for any period of time, I don't know why they would ever have this question. Because if you've been teaching for 10 years, take two or three of your best students and put them next to each other and have them do their form and tell me if they do it exactly the same. Right. All right. So, I mean, if anybody's ever taught Wing Chun for any period of time, they're naturally going to see deviations within their own students. And that's if you give a crap about making them do it correctly. Now, right. if you take a real traditional Chinese Sifu who doesn't really care if this guy learns it or doesn't understand it or whatever, and you teach over 22 years, here's the thing. I'm not surprised that they all do it different. I would be shocked as hell if you found two of them who did it the same. <laughs> all right? Now, I mean, given... Given the way they teach That's in Hong awesome. Kong, right? Given the way they teach in Hong Kong, given given Grandmaster Yip Man's very lackadaisical attitude. By the way, right. if you check out the next issue of Wing Chun Illustrated, which is issue number thirty, the cover article is Sifu Elman Leung. I did the interview with him. He's my kung fu uncle. He originally started learning from Grandmaster Yip Man in the sixties, and he tells some very interesting stories about how Grandmaster Yip Man used to teach. Uh, he would basically just sit in the corner, smoke cigarettes, and put his the, the senior students in charge. Right. So given that that was kind of the standard way he would quote-unquote teach, if you find two of his students who did something exactly the same, that would be the outlier. That would, that would be, be shocking. Yes. Right, the, right. the fact that they all do it different, I go, yeah, of course they all do it different. Why would they even do it the same? Right. They learned in different time periods. They, they learned with different intentions. They learned they came from different backgrounds, and some of them gave a crap, and some of them didn't. So right. there you go. It's the same reason why people don't do anything the same in a modern martial arts school. Right. Spot on answer. I mean, and Tony's other question was, in JKD, what's the difference between JKD and John Fon method? And um, yeah, I, know I spoke to take this one. <laughs> I spoke a little bit earlier about it in, in uh, another podcast. But honestly, and again, this is just my opinion. JKD, Jeet Kune Do, is a series of principles that are used in a combative way. The Jun Fan method was how Lee Jun Fan taught these principles and worked them. And, and that's the difference. One is the ideas, the concepts, with a little c. And the other one is how the methodology behind the training. Yeah, makes sense. Pretty straightforward. That's really how I looked at it. You know, people get all wrapped up in is it Jun Fan Kung Fu? Is it this era? Is it that era? Did JKD is Jeet Kune Do. Jeet Kune Do is Jeet Kune Do. It's 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 the principles. These sure. are the principles. Right. And the Jun Fan method was how Lee Jun Fan taught those principles. Yeah. You know, it's, you want to learn his method? Awesome. You know, fantastic. That's what Jun Fan is. But um, to me, that's the difference. Awesome. Yeah, makes sense. Straightforward. I uh, think we had a pretty good uh, episode here, brother. I'm, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Man, we, you know what? We should start drinking with the next one. That would be... Oh, man. We should do one episode completely drunk and see what we talk about. Well, no, no. That was last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, you're not supposed to let people know that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought that was the methamphetamine. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Hey, guys. Again. Oh. Sorry. That's awesome, man. Yeah, they're shooting me all you the time. You just keep man. on ducking, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, guys, hey, don't forget to like us on Facebook. Uh, don't forget to give us reviews on iTunes, wherever you can get this podcast, and uh, we'll get the word out there. Let people know. Yeah, folks, and remember, if nothing else, hands up, chins down, eyes open, breathe. You'll be okay. Awesome. All See right, you guys. next week. Take care. See you, Sean. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, bro.